Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 25, version control with Git. And uh, I'm going to try to make a lot of puns in this because some people may not get it. Some people get it like Jay. And <laughs> get, it, get off my lawn. Yeah, if we can just do play on words with this, I'm going to certainly all day. I got to get a few of them out as soon as we start here. But uh, this is an important topic because yeah. using Git is, uh, well, when people ask, like, hey, Tom, how'd you get your prompt like that? Well, here, just Git clone. And I have a little installer that installs the um, the dot files so you can have this in Linux and things like that. It's an easy way for us to, and Jay has a GitHub, but don't conflate. We'll, we'll clear this up right away. GitHub uses Git. GitHub is not Git. They're not interchangeable. GitHub is a service owned by... Uh, the evil empire that is Microsoft. Sorry, I have to call them that. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> but, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's a common misconception. Yeah, so there's, I, I will just clear that up right away. It is a great place. I, I myself completely do use Git. I think the, uh, GitHub is not a bad place necessarily to host it, um, but beware that is owned by Microsoft and Git is a process. GitHub is just a place to put things because there's also GitLab, um, but Microsoft didn't buy them and are not as popular. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I'll talk about, uh, a little bit about GitLab. I'm not an expert, but I will talk a little bit about that. And another solution that you didn't mention that uh, is not the first thing that comes to mind that I think is worth mentioning. And I might even do a video on it if enough people want me to, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. See, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, we will talk about the sponsor of this show, and that's Linode. And you know what? That might be a fun idea. You could probably run your own Git system in Linode. Yeah, you could get your own virtual server and run it there. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Hopefully like... people like won't we've, turn this podcast off before. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, it's getting a little dry now. But honestly, um, you know, getting it back to uh, non-Git-related top. Actually, we should keep it to Git-related topics because, like I said, you can run your Git server there. But Linode itself is the sponsor of this episode, like uh, most of the other ones so far, which we're really happy to have them on board. They host the podcast for us. So you are using, um, you are actually using Linode. If you go to the website for this channel, download the podcast. Yes. And um, it's a it's a fantastic service. All of the uh, web presence for Learn Linux TV runs on that as well. And um, couldn't be happier with it. Yes. So uh, we've been Linode users for a long time. And uh, so we like to thank them as a sponsor. There's an offer code down below so you can get in on it too. So Linode's been pretty awesome. All right. Yep. Back to the topic at hand, yes. version control. So let's. So I figured for this we could kind of, um, you know, we'll we'll just kind of walk our way up through the the topics and just kind of start small and you know easy, and then work work our way up. Um, this isn't going to be a tutorial. This is a podcast, but I am going to be mentioning a few things about Git and you know via the command line as part of that. But uh, first of all, Git is part of version control. And version control is where you want to control versions, essentially. You want to be able to keep track of changes. And it's often uh, a thing that's used for software developers. And in fact, that's where the primary use for version control is. And this isn't a software development podcast. So why are we talking about that? Well, because version control, people have realized, is a concept that goes beyond just software development. And you can use it in ways that may not actually be apparent at first to most. If you're thinking about becoming a software engineer, you you, you pretty much uh, learn version control. And um, I, I remember when I was taking 
college classes before I graduated, I was really upset that there wasn't any classes on version control, even when my major used to be at one time uh, for software engineering. I'm thinking, this is a big deal. But when it comes to home lab and business, you could keep you could keep track of different versions of, of things other than, you know, your, your C++ programs or whatever it is you're writing. And you could keep track of your config files, your server config files, your dot files. And I also feel that for a lot of people, version control is a precursor to, um, you know, getting started with automation. And that's kind of how it was for me. Like when I first started with Linux, I, I discovered bash scripting, one of the first things. And I remembered that there's all these commands anytime I set up a distribution that I have to run every time. So if I wipe it out and reload it, I have to run these. And I would just, um, you know, just paste these commands into a text file. So if I ever wanted to set up another distro, I would just copy and paste the commands into a terminal to set it up. But then when I discovered bash scripting, it's like, oh, well, I could just make this a bash script. I have all the commands here. So I'll just make it executable, put the bin bash header at the top of it and just be able to run it. I could just copy that file to the machines. And this is before I got into automation. This was kind of like a form of automation. It starts like this for most people. And then it's like, well, where do you put it? Well, I'll put it in version control. So that way I have a place to download it from. So Git is just, is one of many different types. I mean, there's um, Subversion or SVN for short, for example, Mercurial, um, a number of other ones, but and Git has just become the most popular. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, and uh, SVN, I believe, was like, before Git, SVN was kind of like the de facto what the majority of people used. It was, um, yeah. but not, it, it just didn't quite work quite as well as Git does. Yeah, I think Git has a lot of um, things that makes it more popular that I've read. But full disclaimer, I pretty much started with Git. I, I did briefly use SVN for a few months, but not long enough to where I could really just give you like a point by point comparison between <laughs> the two. So why is Git important in this space? So if you think about servers, you think about the fact that things change over time. So you have a, let's just say you have an Apache config file that has your, um, you know, server controls in there. And then you, you know, change it up or maybe you make a template or something. Where do you store that so other people can get to it? And also if you have it under version control, which we'll talk about later, if the server's not acting right, okay, what changed? But with Git, you can actually go back and find out like, okay, is this config file different since the last time it was committed? Now, taking a step all the way back, what's required for Git? You mentioned earlier, and I'm glad you did, that um, Git and GitHub are, are not one and the same. GitHub is like a web wrapper around Git. You could use Git on the command line. You don't need a GUI for it. In fact, and a lot of people may not realize this, you don't even need a server. So let's just start at that level. Let's just say you have a Linux laptop or a Linux server. You have no, it's not a server in the sense that it's not, it's not a Git server. It's just maybe your web server your Plex server, something local that isn't accessible from the outside. So if you install Git, which would be just apt install GIT, Git, or DNF install, whatever your flavor is, then you could use Git right then and there. And the code never has to leave your system. It could stay there on the system and never touch the internet, never be uploaded anywhere. So if you, for example, just um, create a new um, repository, then you have a folder and anything you put in that folder you can add it to version control, which means you make Git care about it. Git is going to pay attention to it. Just because you put a file in a folder doesn't mean that Git is all of a sudden going to be, oh, I'm going to keep track of that now. No, it's, it'll basically be a foreign object. But you uh, Git add that particular file, and that tells Git, you need to keep track of this file. 
At this point, nothing has left your computer, your server yet. It's just there on your local file system. Now, why would that be important? So you can also initialize a, an existing directory. So say, for example, you have your, your Etsy Apache 2 or Etsy HTTPD folder for your web server. So you could just git init inside that folder. And now that folder has a dot git folder inside of it. And now you can actually manage the changes in there and add your Apache config files to version control. At this point, nothing has left your server yet. It's still there. It's not online. It's not accessible. But what this allows you to do is if like something changes or something's not acting right, you can run a git status and it'll call out anything that has changed since the previous commit. You commit every time you make changes. This means like, I want, uh, this is a final change. I want you to keep track of this. And that's a great thing to do because if you have other people in your house, um, maybe you and a friend or, I don't know, family member also get into the server. If something doesn't work, you can say, hey, what are you doing over here? You, don't, you totally deleted this line mm -hmm. right here. And you know that because it's, you know, it's under version control and Git is taking care of that and watching that for you. Well, there's also when you run updates occasionally, I mean, granted, it, the update does ask, generally speaking, right. um, the update itself can make changes to a config file because sometimes when they update a new version and then Git can allow you to see the differential changes between there. So you can, you know, it's telling you, but then, you know, we're next and yesing sometimes through the updates and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, I, I yesed about three different changes. Now I should probably look at a differential between what it looks like now and my last commit. And yep. it's, you know, it just really is that version control way of tracking to see what's different. It's also really handy when you're iterating through uh, configurations to figure out what you did each step of the way and being able to look at different timelines or even re-roll yeah. back to that particular one. Um, I, when I was configuring, I could bring up MediaWiki because it can be tedious to configure. I was uh, not smart. I did not use Git. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I, by fixing something over here, something broke, but I don't remember what it is that I did because now this function's broke to get this right. function to work. And I, if not having a good differential made that hard. Absolutely. And um, it's super easy to just install Git on your home lab server, go into a folder that has the config files you care about and just initialize a repository there. Again, it doesn't have to leave your computer if you're concerned about privacy or, or something like that, especially considering some things, and this is important, we'll, we'll get talk more about this, some things should never be in version control. It's, I mean, that, that's something we really need to dial down here because there's some things, and I'm gonna keep pushing this and mentioning this over and over again until people are tired of hearing about it, be very careful what you put in there because it's hard. If it does reach the internet, you do upload it to a server, a Git server, then it's out It's out there. Um, so anyway, you, you can control your servers with it. And if you have a home lab server, there's probably no reason not to initialize a repository inside the directories that contain the config files that are important to you. Now, another thing that people do is they take uh, they want to keep track of their dot files, their vimrc, their bashrc, yes. their zshell config files, um, tmux config files, all these different things. And I think that's how a lot of people get started with version control because, you know, sure, you could just grab those files from your home directory, put them in a zip file or a tar file, and just, you know, manually copy it over and extract it. You, you could do that, but... Um, I think it's it's pretty cool to keep track of your, of your dot files. And there's also a, I haven't used it myself, but there's a tool called Stow, S-T-O-W, that a lot of other people really like for this purpose. So it could keep track of your uh, dot files. And I, I don't know if it works this way, but I know when I used to use Git for this purpose, I would have a 
dot dot files directory that's hidden and inside there would be all my config files in one folder and then um i would have like a init.sh or something where you just run this con- this um bash script and it just symlinks you know dot bashrc to dot dot file slash bashrc or whatever it is so it just puts symlinks where the files are supposed to be so your shell can find them but they're in this one folder and i think stow might do something Similar to automate this, I'm not exactly sure. Again, I haven't used it. I just know, like, I wanted to I, give it a mention because a lot of people love it. So I do it with the symlink method that uh, you mentioned. That's um, how I started with my Git because the dot files is something, you know, I show them a lot in my Linux tutorial videos and things like that. And people are like, how'd you get the command line customized like that? And I have them on GitHub because uh, it's one of the easiest places to throw them for public accessibility. And it's also how whenever I set up new servers, it's the same thing I like to put in there. And using a version control from my main computer means if I change something in Tmux or I change a feature in VimRC or BashRC to the way I like it, any subsequent servers deployed later, or I can just hit get pull on all the other ones and have them uh, uh, do that. And, and to reiterate what Jay said, please note one of the good reasons for doing it in a folder in a symlink as opposed to just your home folder is you do not want your SSH private keys over on GitHub. That is GitHub for API keys that people accidentally uploaded. And if, especially if they work for a company, that's especially bad. Like the AWS keys, like, oh my gosh, think about that. Like if you if you work with AWS or any of the other VPS or uh, cloud providers, and you have your keys, your admin keys that allow you to launch machines and remove infrastructure, That if that goes up into a server like GitHub or an online resource, it's a bad thing. I, I say get used to not including those things, even if you have no intention ever of the you know Git repository ever leaving your computer, maybe you don't want to host it online, at least make sure you don't include files in there um, and how do you do that? How do you ignore a file? How, you have a, Let's just say you have a file in there. You want all of the files in version control, but you don't want this one, though, because that has like some maybe an API key in there. You don't want that. So what you could do is you could create a .git ignore file, and you put the file name in there that you want it to ignore, and it's not going to – it's just not going to keep track of that. Now, if you've already added it on accident, you have to remove it. So if you've added it to version control um, – Git ignore is not going to work the way you think it is. It's not going to delete it, you know, on the version control. If you have already entered it in there, um, just create a .git ignore file and make sure that the files you that are sensitive are not going to be uploaded by putting them in that file. And you commit the .git ignore file itself to make it take effect. And at that point, Git is like, oh, you've changed that file, but I don't care because, like, I'm not even watching that or that's a new file, but I don't care about it. And you get in the habit before you even go up to a server. That's very important. So now we get into the topic of a server. Uh, GitHub is one. You mentioned GitLab as well. Yep. But what's required to make a server? And it's actually extremely simple. Um, You can have a remote Git server by simply installing the Git package on that remote server. So say, for example, it's a Linode instance, right? You, You don't have to have a GUI. You don't have to have a web browser attached to it, Apache, none of that. Um, if you have just SSH to that server and get on the other side, you can actually push changes to that server. You don't actually need GitHub. You don't need GitLab. If all you're trying to do is have your, your code on a different server, SSH, done. Uh, you can actually use SSH to push and pull from a Git repository. So then you have that folder that you want to you know keep track of. You have your .git ignore in there, so it's not keeping track of things you don't want to. It's time to put it up on the internet so or a server that you control. And you do that with SSH and, and that works. 
Another thing you can do is if you think about like Tom's videos with zero tier, you could set up a Linode server that is not publicly accessible, that is external, which is great, but you could make it so that the firewall only allows the IP for zero tier. So it's not like anyone else can get to it. So even though it's a cloud provider, you can still have a remote server that's yours and, and only you can access it. So that might be an option for some of you out there. Um, GitHub is another one of these. It, it's the most famous. You can you have your local repository. You could push it right up to GitHub. You could push it up to GitLab. You could push it to all of them if you want. I mean, it doesn't matter um, because that's the the Git server isn't required. The Git server is just a place to store your version control files, and that's the important distinction. Yeah, and and GitHub um, is one of the what made them popular is they did a good job of creating a collaborative community, and a lot right. of a lot of big open source projects jumped on that. And if you want to work with lots of people, and you want to tie in a way for people to make pull requests, a a way for people to make uh, easily look at the public code and make comments on it, so you can have some feedback from the public publicly posted on a open source project, they did a nice job of putting that all together. And yeah. it's what made them so popular along with just everything was kind of well done when they assembled it. Uh, GitLab is a good runner up for that, but you'll, I still see as many people as were going to exit from GitHub so far, even though Microsoft bought it a few years ago, I'll admit they haven't done anything horrible to it. Right. Matter of fact, they added a couple features. One of the features they've added is it looks for bucket keys and stuff like that. Um, it looks for people who are making mistakes and tries right. to alert people of those mistakes. It tries to alert people that, Hey, we found some, what appear to be SSH keys or different tokens in here that probably shouldn't be. So they've actually improved it a little bit, which, which is nice. I mean, they're just yeah. trying to save people from themselves so it, i joke about microsoft but in the other side I, I will admit they've done a decent job with it in two years which is surprising uh you know maybe the next two years i'll be saying something different for now it, it's nice and nice things when you're dealing with all your public code it's not like it's hard to copy all the code do a quick git clone pull something that you're looking for um on there and uh one se segue a little bit about that is this can be a problem. Uh, one of the reasons if I find any type of project I like on GitHub, I always make a clone of it because sometimes package maintainers are flighty and they just disappear code. And I yeah. ran into something that was just missing the other day. I'm like, huh, I'm glad I have a copy of that because they have apparently just deleted it off GitHub because I don't know why uh, they're, they're not yeah. in contact anymore. They seem to have deleted their account. <laughs> or sometimes even worse. It could be something like YouTube DL that got pulled down. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another example of when uh, there was a conflict uh, that was resolved later about them pulling uh, YouTube download. Uh, they always have a tenuous relationship with people who post security research on GitHub. Um, they want to make sure that before security researchers post proof of concepts, this is Microsoft's stance on it, that there's been patches for it. But sometimes there's even been a patch for it, and the security researchers have found themselves kind of stuck and banned from uh, GitHub temporarily from posting some of those things. Uh, that's just a little bit of it. So if you find something you like on GitHub and you have the space to store it, add it to your own. It's not bad if it's an important tool that uh, you use all the time to have your own local copy that you keep up to date. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point. And that's so, easy to automate. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I think that uh, Git is one of those things that I recommend that literally everybody learn it. Um, and there, there's a few things I could say that about because most of these things, it's very context sensitive. Like if, if, you, if you don't have a use case for something, what's the point in using it? But Git is very important for, I think, everyone because even with Home Lab, you're going to find code on GitHub, a script maybe that does something you want to do. And you're going to look at the script and 
download it and use it. Maybe you might notice a problem with it. And then you just say, hey, uh, I'll just submit a, a pull request to you know, fix this typo or something that I found in the script to kind of give back. But one thing that I think the, the easiest way to learn it, in my opinion, for a lot of people is, especially when you're new to, to all of this, you're, you're writing down notes probably when you learn something, you watch your videos, you watch, you know, watch my videos, and then you're, you're writing down notes. Now, you have, if you're like me, I, I write notes in text files. And then it becomes very easy to upload the text files as long as you don't include passwords or anything in there that's sensitive. You, you know, other people can benefit from that. So if you just went through the Vim tutorials and now you have all these notes about using Vim, you upload it. Maybe someone else might see that and they might, oh, that's cool. A little Vim cheat sheet this person made while watching a video. That's pretty cool. But as you create notes, as you're learning all these concepts and pushing the notes up to GitHub and then maybe pulling the notes down on a different computer because you want to, you know, you can't remember the said syntax or something, but you wrote it down. You could just uh, get clone it. That's a really great way to learn version control, um, especially considering there's no systems hanging in the balance. Like it, you know, bad commit isn't going to bring systems down. It's just your notes. And that's a great way to get into the workflow, I think. Um, you know, someone has an interesting question that I, I think because Git's been around for 15 years, I remember people really hated uh, SVN. Like it was a lot more clunky and harder to use compared to Git. But because Git's been uh, in use for such a long time, it's kind of become back to what we said earlier, why it's become a standard. Also, right. if anyone didn't know, uh, you might've heard of the guy that created Git, you know, his yeah. Linus Torvalds. Um, it was a little project he had besides this other little project he has called Linux. Um, he came up with that and it's, it kind of became once Linus and some of the big names started using it. And from my understanding, I'm not a developer full time. The development community says life was much worse prior to Git. Like it was a lot yeah. more difficult to manage larger scale projects. So it is uh, done that. Matter of fact, uh, even Microsoft's using, if I'm not mistaken, are using Git still internally now for a lot of their larger projects, which has probably led to some of their acquisition to yeah. GitHub. But there's, it, it's been, it's proven to be very scalable for a large project. So it kind of, it solves a lot of problems in between. Yeah, it does. And um, I, I don't remember much about SVN, unfortunately. I worked at a company that um, a long time ago, they were using that as their primary version control, but they're in the process of switching to Git. And they they like Git a lot better. But they they started with SVN. They've been using it for a very long time. So it wasn't an easy thing for them. They had a lot of different build systems that were using SVN. Yeah. So they were, they were making good progress and switching over to it. Um, and they, they used SVN. They just... They didn't really complain a whole lot, but I could tell that they just felt like Git is easier. I mean, why else are they going to you know, move to it, that it was a better solution for them? There were a lot of situations where um, somehow some protection wasn't in place where um, it was allowed. You, you were allowed to basically commit to the main repository, mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't what you're supposed to do. Um, and people did it. And then repairing an SVN repository, every time they had to do that was not a fun thing they were it was a day-long ordeal for them unfortunately yeah. so i could tell why they might want to switch to git yeah but and, I don't, and I don't details. linus created it because he needed to solve a problem so he's right. like okay i built the linux kernel i got problems and it isn't I, I need to solve this problem i need a better way to build it so he took time off wrote git and went back to the, <laughs> using it for the linux kernel so <laughs> yeah absolutely so i see a lot of questions in the live chat or statements about git lab versus github and vice versa so which one's better for the other i think they're both great 
I use GitLab primarily, but I also have a GitHub repository for the YouTube channel because that's, you know, where all the cool kids are anyway. Yeah. Um, GitLab kind of seems, in my opinion, to target the enterprise more. Um, Git, it's not that GitHub doesn't. Uh, they do. It's just they're more, in my opinion, an, a general purpose solution, whereas GitLab is more targeted towards the enterprise. But however, um, home lab people can use GitLab. You can install it on your own server, which is one thing I like about GitLab. You could use their service and, you know, they host for you or you could just host it yourself. Yeah. And, and you can't host, as far as I know, you can't host your own GitHub. No. So that's a benefit. And they have uh, CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous development, I believe it stands for. I've been using that um, acronym for so long, I forgot the meaning or, or what it stands for. I'm pretty sure that's right. And um, they have that built in. I think GitHub does now as well. But there's all these tools in GitLab that I, I think are really cool. I recommend just checking it out. Um, you could just sign up for a free account there. They're not a sponsor or anything. You know, just check them out, see what you think of it. Um, compare it to GitHub, make your own um, determination which one you like best. But um, you can mirror the two. You can use both. You could have commits from one go to the other. So that way you could just um, have, you know, have to keep track of multiple remotes on that. Um, I like GitLab a lot. And I can't even remember why I chose it. Um, it's just, I've been using it for so long now and it has some, you know, th th there's a lot of feature overlap. So it gets really hard to call one the superior of between the other. It's just, if you're enterprise company focused GitLab, if you're a you know, general purpose developer or don't have any specific ties to the enterprise, then GitHub is probably fine. But I think even if you use GitLab, you'll still find yourself using GitHub because a lot of code that you'll probably want to reference is there for you to inspect and other people especially in security. If you're downloading a security scanning tool, you're probably going to go on GitLab or excuse me, GitHub to get it. So um, you'll probably use GitHub no matter what. Yeah. And it's one of the challenges of moving is in, for example, uh, even if I were to move over to GitLab and move my dot files there, not that they're that popular, not that they're that special. Mostly I copied them from Kali Linux. I even say that in my notes. Um, but one of the things about it is I now have all these links everywhere that are all set to pull from that. If you switch where you have something and people don't switch where they pull from it, unless you delete it, they won't even get an error. They just think there's no more updates to that. They just say, oh, it doesn't update anymore because there's nothing new to update. Um, so the pain of switching, once again, can be it's not that it's an insurmountable task, but you somehow once you've been using something for a while, you've built all these scripts that implicitly link to a specific URL. Matter of fact, uh, one of the conveniences that. I, you know, you can list your public SSH keys over in GitHub. And once you've got a bunch of scripts that pull those SSH keys in, you're like, oh, I have to get, where did I put all those scripts? Because <laughs> I just started setting them up everywhere to make sure my latest SSH keys are on servers. Uh, I have to go find all those servers and make sure they're pulling from the new place I keep my SSH keys. So switching can be hard in general too, so. <laughs> Migrations in general are a pain, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a third solution though I want to mention actually. Sure. And it's called GitT. G-I-T-E-A, like the word get and T, like I'm going to drink a spot of tea um, in one word. So get T with only one T. And it's a self-hosted solution for this that is really good. It's one of my favorites. I don't need, again, I don't know why I switched to GitLab. Get T was fine. Maybe I just wanted to try the other one. It might have been a work-related reason at the time because I think my company was getting into GitLab. That could have been the reason. But get T is written in Go. You can install it on your own server. So you can have it on your LAN if you want, 
So if you don't like the cloud, you could just keep it local. If you, you could write it on a Linode server or whatever, if you want it to be remotely available, that's up to you. Just know if you make it, make it remotely available, security's on you, right? Because yeah. you gotta make sure it's secure and updated. So you're taking that responsibility upon yourself. But Git T is a lot, is really great. You install it on whatever Linux server you have local or not. And you could just use that for where you push your code to. And um, I, I used it for a, a while and I, I had no complaints with it. It was great. I might make a video for it if there's enough people that want me to do that. It's an alternative to GitHub and GitLab that uh, might be something that'll be right up someone's alley. So it's uh, just gitte.com, G-I-T-E-A.com. You could check that out. Look at the deployment instructions. How, how do you deploy that? Um, I don't remember the process, but I do remember it seeming like very, pretty easy. You're just downloading Go and then the module and you're just running it essentially. So it's pretty easy to do. Well, that sounds pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was too. So I really like that one. Um, so where do, where does this go, right? So you, so you have all this Git thing, you learn it, you're, you're version controlling your servers, your dot files, maybe you set up Git T or a GitLab account or something and you, you have somewhere to put it. I think that this organically, you know, most people, unless you start with with um, automation, maybe you're getting into home lab and you're like, man, Puppet looks cool, Chef looks cool, Ansible looks cool, and you learn it straight away. I think if you don't do that, most people naturally kind of evolve into that from this. So maybe you have some dot files that you put in Git, and then there you go. But then later on, you you start to look at your version, your, your automation tools. Let's just use Ansible as an example, something we covered before. You can keep your Ansible code in there. You can make it the you can make the repository private, even on GitLab and GitHub, so no one else can see it. And you could have like a deployment key that only you have to download it, so you don't have to worry about like everyone downloading your config files, or you could just run your own server local LAN. And um, <clears throat> I feel like it. Once you put your Ansible code in there, it starts to kind of make sense how this would work in a company because a lot of home lab stuff, it, you know, might if you work in IT as well, it could translate to that. So then you could have like, you, you kind of know what it's like to use version control. So if you work at a company that's using Puppet Chef Ansible or something, you have multiple administrators that are pushing code to that repository. So you could kind of get used to the workflow of uh, peer programming essentially. And I think that's a, um, pretty cool thing. But where it all comes together, though, is Ansible pull. And Ansible pull is my personal favorite way to use Ansible. And just as a quick, you know, refresher, because we talked about it before. Um, in my case, I, I have laptops, desktops, and servers that are maintained by Ansible. My laptop could be in my bag, which means it's, a, it's asleep and it's not getting any network connectivity. So if I have a Ansible server and it tries to reach that laptop when it's suspended, it's not going to, it's going to send me an error email. Yes, I know I put the laptop away. I'm not using it. Leave me alone. Um, but, you know, of course, and the Ansible server is just doing its thing. It's trying to reach a server and it can't. But Ansible pull is the reverse where the laptops, the desktops, the servers, they pull down the configs from somewhere online. So they're only going to pull it down when they're online or just powered on. So that way you don't worry about getting errors when it's off. It just next time it comes up, it's just good. It's running via cron. It'll just download what it downloads. If it's if you have that code in a version control um, utility anyway or server, it's very easy for for you to basically migrate that danceable pull because essentially you're just changing your deployment script to pull from a URL. That URL could be the repository for your GitLab um, server, GitHub, uh, GitT, whatever it is. And then all of your servers can download from that central location. So the way it started for me, like, you know, I did some sim, sim links to dot files. 
But eventually Ansible just has these dot files and just make sure they exist on all my machines. And it's all very organic the way that that kind of um, played out in, into current day to where I version control and automate everything. I think it kind of, it's a symbiotic relationship, I think is the best way to put it when you're dealing with configuration and version control. Well, and it's it kind of uh, goes to the, me and G were talking last night, and one of the challenges sometimes is when you don't use a laptop for a little while, not right. just now because there's a change, but maybe you didn't need it for a week. And I'm looking over across my uh, studio table here saying, you know what, I have the same thing. I have, that laptop probably hasn't been on in two weeks because it's just a lab laptop that I use for some of the demos. So having the Ansible poll tied to all of the Git versions, because as I'm, I, I've made changes since then to different things I'm working on, but when I need to fire up one of those demo things, it's like pull it, open it up. It's going to do the Ansible poll. It's going to grab everything it needs and put it all together and deploy for you. That's the, I, I'm not quite there because I'm not using it. I understand that more in concept. Jay actually is using it. So I'm I'm with all of you on this in the audience here, learning some of this and getting better at some of the automation because it's not my uh, highest skill set right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay because it, it isn't your highest skill set until it is, right? Yeah, it, and it's so just- I, It becomes, it becomes better and, yeah. and things. Um, but I, so, so what I want to do is talk about CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment. Ah. Someone corrected me. And thank you, by the way, in the in the chat room. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've CI/CD. I, that's what I say. You know, after a while, you kind of lose track of what it what it is. But um, I know what it is in theory because I use it. Um, when we have the CI/CD tools, just to kind of keep it really simple, you could have something like Jenkins, uh, Team City. Um, I, I, there's others. Uh, I think I'm going to, there's probably another really common one I can't remember the name of. But anyway, the idea is it tests the code for you. I'm, I'm, I'm making it very simple because it's much more than that. But you commit code to it. It can run the code, compile it. It could just, you know, the agents kind of do the thing with the code and verify that it is actually good. And then you can use it as part of your deployment. Now, that's not necessarily something that's going to really translate to home lab all that much. But there is overlap that I'm, I'm going to mention, which is why I bring it up. So... With Ansible pull, the issue became that if I commit a change, because any commit I, I make to that repository is going to be run on every single machine. So at, at some point, I had like 20, 30 of these that are checking it. So if there's an error, syntax error, then I'm going to get 20 or 30 emails <laughs> from every single server complaining. I, it didn't work because I have this, you know, catches standard error and, you know, it's going to send an email to me that there's been a problem. It gives me the error message. And then I get like 20, 30 emails. And, um, okay, and I fixed it. And then I get 20, 30 emails saying that it's successful, which was just getting annoying. So I, I made kind of like a poor man CI CD solution. So most people probably use Jenkins, Team City, or one of the others. They have a server. They have an agent. The agent runs the code. But what I did instead is I I added another branch called staging to my Ansible repository, which is just where I test things. And I have one candidate for, for every single operating system I run. So there's an Arch Linux um, VM, Debian, Ubuntu, Pop! OS, Manjaro, um, all of those. And they all pull from only the staging branch. And so when I make changes, I make my changes to that branch, push it up there. So only those servers get the change because I have a representative of every distribution. So if it works on all of those, and I don't get any error messages. Okay, great. I could commit it now to the main um, branch and then all the other systems get it. Now, this isn't a true CI CD solution because there's no CI you know, server here. 
each one of them is just checking out a branch, but they're reporting the success or failure to me so I can basically find out if it's working or not. So that way I don't deploy something to like 20 or 30 machines and break them all and or worse, lock myself out, which I've done. Um, it's a lot easier when you lock yourself out of like a small subset of staging servers than everything. And then you have to actually access a remote console to, you know, because you just put a empty variable in the SSH config file. And now the SSH service won't start anymore, um, which is, ah. um, but you know, that's kind of where it, it goes because CI CD isn't one of those things that we normally think about in home lab. But if you have automation like Ansible, you might ha want a VM that's a representative of the distro or distros that you run that could just run a branch, report success or failure. So you have an idea, okay, this is exactly what I think it is. And then you could push it to main and everyone gets it. So I think that's where um, CI CD might have a possible role. And some of these tools like GitLab and GitHub, they have CI CD built right in. So you don't even have to do the poor man's version like I am. You could literally just create the agents right there inside that service and, and do it the proper way rather than the um, you know rigged way that I'm doing it. So that's just a tip for some people out there. Maybe only a certain subset of our audience might find that helpful, but I think it's better to break a few staging servers than it is to lock you, get locked out of like your actual production servers. Yeah, and a lot of this goes towards the same thinking that a lot of people that are building home labs, some of them are just hobbyists, but there are a lot of people that are going, you know what, this is my career and I need a place to sharpen my skills, learn the skills. And if you're going to go into a collaborative larger scale environment at yep. a large company uh, these are tools and skills you really need because in order to collaborate all this it's not just you making changes it's not just one person it's a team and some larger scale teams really need a lot of this because you need to know who changed what when and will those changes uh scale out and you know when i i look at one of my friends manages over 150,000 endpoints um, at his job. So small things have large ripple effects and, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes he, it, it's the question of what went wrong because this seemed to work in staging and 150,000 endpoints, it's not working on 25,000 of them. And what are those commonalities? And this is, you know, some of these basis you need to do if you want to get into that type of position or those type of jobs. Uh, someone in the comments mentioned that GitLab has a, uh, CCID that can be run on site. So I guess they have their own tools for it. And someone else says the Azure has one as well. Um, the Azure yeah. one's slightly relevant and I won't get far into it, but look up the new uh, OMI. Uh, I think it's called OMI oh God is the new hashtag going on Twitter for uh, Azure. Probably not testing their builds properly and backdooring things into Linux uh, through their process of images. And uh, Based on, based on how slow they're working, I don't think their DevOps tools are working very well, or at least the people that are in control of them uh, aren't deploying yeah. this very well. So that was a breaking news story that happened just before we started the podcast. But it still goes into the same thing because now people have to go look at, you know, how do we get this out there? How do we push it? How do we get this out to all these different servers that it's in uh, and push the update for it? So, And that's where I think that's a good point because that's where this kind of comes together. Because if you have your version control or you have your um, config management scripts and version control, then whatever the fix happens to be, um, you could add a playbook for that and push it push it into your repository and then all of your servers get the fix done. Yep. Um, that's what I do. So if there's ever a security vulnerability, I think I can't remember what it was. I think there was um there's something that happened in the SSH, I think over a year ago or so, but whatever it was, it's like it required a specific package. So I just made made it a point to it, to require that every server was you know running at least that version. 
um, across the board. And of course, I had it set up to restart SSH as soon as it's updated. So um, rather than logging into every single machine, I just do one commit, uh, technically two, because I tested on staging first, and then it proved itself there, merged to main, and then everything got it. So um, that, that was just super simple. And I don't know how we survived with logging into everything one by one. Like, I can't even imagine what that, and I, I've experienced this. Like it must've been so traumatic that I've like blocked it out of my mind and have no memory. Cause I know I did do it that way. At yeah. one but when automation took over, like that was deleted and okay, this is the only way to do it from now on. I'm not logging into hundreds of servers anymore. Well, honestly, some of the um, ease of automation goes hand in hand with Linux a lot smoother than it's gone with Microsoft, you know, even with some of the advanced tools we have pushing updates to Microsoft servers is constantly a, a less than simple process uh, because it's so fundamentally built, built different, but Linux has been always on this side. So it's, it's definitely um, it, once you get into some of these other skills like that, uh, building things with Ansible, it does make it a lot easier to do that. And I think it's easy to forget what it was like logging in uh, with right. the exception of the things that still don't have full support for such things like special distributions and stuff like that, that still require manual logins to uh, push new versions and updates. So <laughs> some of those, I mean, with Ansible, it, you know, there was a, a one at one point, I can't remember which distribution it was in um, Ansible that wasn't actually recognized. And I literally pushed that in myself. I, I wish I could remember which distribution it was so I could take credit for it before the because of the fact that Ansible supports that distro is my fault. But literally, it was one of the offshoots. So it was either a spin of Ubuntu, a spin of Arch, I don't remember. But essentially, it's just one file. And you just say, you know, this distro matches this one. So it knows this uses DNF or um, yum or pac-man apt or whatever and i just pushed it right in there and i think that's the right mentality but um, distribution support generally happens pretty quick in ansible which is pretty cool yeah and someone says using it just to automate your switch and router config backups uh and getting rid of rancid makes it works uh makes it worth it uh rancid's another tool for doing configuration management for those of you that don't know i've never used it i'm just aware that it exists so yeah just like me and stow like a lot of people seem to like that one so um yeah. I, again, I, I mean, to bring it all back, I think version control is essential for everyone that's doing yep. anything Linux related, um, even if it's just your notes that you're keeping track of or, you know, your server configs. And just keep in mind, if there's any situation where you're like, man, I put a lot of work into this uh, configuration for this server, it would really suck if I lost this config and had to start over. Put yeah. that in version control. Absolutely put that in version control. Again, make sure there's nothing there that shouldn't be in version control. Ignore the files with keys and API credentials, passwords, yep. and hashes. Get all that out of there. And then just upload the rest. You could you could you could reset your password. It's not the end of the world. Um, and your API keys, but the rest should go up there. And especially, I think you you'll be justified that one day where your server's broken, it doesn't work, and then you do a get status. Oh, I see what changed. And that saves you hours of just going through every line because you don't know which line changed. Git will tell you which line changed, and you'll know exactly what happened at that point. And I think at that point is when you're really going to appreciate it. Yep. All right. I think that's 
you, you can get started with, uh, I mean, there's a million different get started books. I don't know if I have any one pick or recommend, but there's, there's lots of resources out there. If you Google how to get started with get and starting your first couple, hello world version of your first get, there's plenty of information out there. I don't have any specific resources to link to, but, um, let us know down in the comments. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, some other things on get it, maybe, uh, you want, I'm going to point at Jay. Uh, maybe Jay will cover in some other videos because it's it is on my list. It is actually on my list. It's not. Uh, I don't know when. I just know it's not going to be this month or October. But I, it is something that um, I might try to push it up if there's enough demand for it. Um, but it's definitely going to happen. So I will have yeah. a video out. And I might do a video on Git T if there's enough people that want me to uh, to do that. Yeah, because uh, Jay's been busy. If you haven't noticed, he's got some uh, whole new series of videos on Proxmox out there. Uh, a lot of people yeah. asked about it. We did a Proxmox video, but people said, but Tom, Proxmox 7 is out. So Jay did some deep dives and put together a series of tutorials to uh, get your Proxmox fill. And Wendell, on the other side of it, because he was a guest on here, he's starting to play with XCPNG. So I'm excited. Hey, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um yeah, maybe someday I'll start playing with that again. I did enjoy it when I looked at it, yeah. so um, it's a good solution. So, respectively, on each of our channels, including Level One Techs, um, we're all we're all cranking out lots of other stuff out there. But let us know what you want to know about Git, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Much appreciated. Yeah. And ask us questions so we could do another Q and A at some oh, yeah. point. That'd that too. be pretty cool. We do enjoy the Q and A, so we'll lead up to another episode. There's a form uh, you can fill out on the homelab.show. So you, if you have your questions you want to ask there, uh, we have forums, uh, ask away. We do look at the YouTube comments as well. So wherever, you're, if you're listening to this, you can do it through the website. If you want to come to the YouTube channel, you can do it there. Uh, and me and Jay both have forums directly. So we will consolidate stuff and uh, we'll do another Q&A episode in a few. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you.